0: One of the biggest skills in improv that you learn, and you'll learn it, like if you do it even one class, you'll probably learn it in the first class, Uh, or at least you'll start to learn it and you won't be good at it. But that skill is learning to fail and fail really hard, embarrassingly, in front of people.
1: Before we get into today's episode, we have a word from our sponsor, Mindset Shift. Have you ever told yourself, I don't think I can do this? They will never go for it. I'm not a good enough leader the things you tell yourself that hold you back. Imagine if you could remove all those boundaries just by holding them up and actually looking at them, figuring out where they come from and how to tackle them. At Mindset Shift, that's what we do. We help innovative and ambitious leaders that want to make extraordinary things happen for their teams, for their business, for their culture, and for themselves. We help unlock their growth. Through actionable coaching, workshops, leadership development programs, or speaking engagements, we create foundational people over profit environments, the kinds where productivity and innovation soar, culture, inclusion, and equity sit at the heart of operations. Are you ready to step out the box and take your organization to the next level? Contact us today, at www.mindsetshift.co.uk enjoy today's episode on today's episode of everyday leadership i have absolute pleasure of speaking to bonnie k who is an exceptional illustrator a brand icon designer who's worked for the likes of Netflix, Lyft, Square, Facebook, or Meta now, <laughs> Figma, Caviar, the name and the list keeps on going on and she's currently working with um, with Netflix a lot right now as well. And I must admit, when I started delving into, into who you are and your story, it really opened my mind. So I am glad that you said yes to come on and we can really delve into the conversation today. How are you doing, Kate?
0: I'm great. I'm excited to get to chat.
1: Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, you had that... Article that you put out there when you talked about going from unemployed twice to earning 600K in a year, which was really amazing. But I wanted to go like way back because you are from San Francisco, but you used to live in, you used to study in the UK.
0: Yeah. So I did my bachelor's and my master's, both in London. How come? How come you decided to come out here? So I graduated high school and I decided to go to New York. I went to the Fashion Institute of Technology, FIT, and I was going to study communication design. So Graphic design basically. And I started my first semester and I didn't like it. I didn't find it very challenging. The classes felt really basic compared to what I'd been doing in my spare time, which was a lot of like digital collage and a lot of stuff that was digital art. And they were very focused on physical art and like stuff that I kind of already knew how to do, like learning InDesign. So I wasn't loving it. And that there were three or four students from the London College of Communication who were doing a semester abroad. And so I connected with them really quickly and they said, well, you could always drop out and then go to the UK. So that's what I did. So after my first semester, I dropped out and I started applying for classes in the UK. So I did, I applied for a bachelor's and I applied for a foundation degree, which in the US, nobody knows what that is, but in the UK, I think it's pretty common. So I got accepted to a foundation degree at LCC and so even though it wasn't like a guaranteed bachelor's program after that, I felt pretty good that if I worked hard enough, I could probably get a spot somewhere. So it was that kind of combination of not feeling very challenged and then meeting these people who wanted me to come there and cause they also didn't feel challenged. They didn't like it either. So I figured if they didn't like it and I didn't like it, that maybe it would work out. Wow. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Have you always been into design from when you were little?
0: Yeah, so my dad started teaching me how to make websites when I was about eight. Wow. Um, Because, yeah, I was making pixel art, which is like very one-to-one with what I do now. So I was making pixel art, and I wanted to put my pixel art drawings on the internet and have my own space on the internet. So he taught me how to build a website, to put my art on, and I was doing it in something before Dreamweaver. So I kind of did pixel art for many, many years, and then... Got more into digital collage and photo editing after that. And then, then it was basically into college.
1: So your dad in the same space as you are as well?
0: So my dad is a business systems analyst. He works at Pandora now. So for Pandora, he helps them run all their internal systems. If they're doing a migration from one business tool to another business tool, like if they wanted to go from, say, like Slack to Microsoft Teams or something like that, he would be the person helping them do that migration. So he's very tech savvy and very computer focused, but he doesn't do art or design. He
1: just took his, his passion and saw your passion as well. That's when you combine both of them together. And Like, there you go. There's a space for you to keep on creating and do new things.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow.
1: I'm going to fast forward and then jump back a little bit. because I'm just very, very curious around this. With what you're doing right now and with what's going on with NFTs, what's your, what's your take on the market?
0: I did sell one NFT when Foundation was pretty new. I guess I did sell one to some anonymous buyer from what I can tell. And I was like, oh, maybe I could get into this because I do a lot of, well, not a lot. I do some photorealistic or like hyper-realistic Figma illustrations and they take a lot of time. And no, like there's no purpose to them. So I was like, oh, but I could do this and maybe sell them as NFTs. And and because I sold one, I was like, oh, maybe that'll work out. It didn't. I wasn't able to sell another one. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to put that on pause. Um, And then I started looking into it again, and the issue that I have found with this space is that it is super male-dominated, and it's also pretty white-dominated, realistically. And the art that's being created is really, I think, I can really only speak to my experience, but it seems like it's designed for men most of the time. And so I actually started speaking to a friend of mine who works for a company that is NFT, DAO, kind of focused. And I did some more like profile pick style work where it was more systematic and there would be multiple pieces, that sort of thing. And he shopped it around, but he was like, nobody's really interested in the art style. Even though he thought that art style is objectively good, it's just not what the market wants because the people with all the money don't want really feminine art. And there's only a couple of female artists that I think are super successful in that space. And even then it's not the same. Like it seems like pretty much any one of my like my white male dude friends can like, create a thing and it's just successful i'm like how are you guys doing this like i have enough resources and connections but even with somebody literally shopping my idea around i can't get traction
1: it's interesting because theory nfc is supposed to be something that's supposed to be taken away and democratizing that space in particular making it open for everyone to come through and What you just showed right now, even in that space, it's still white male dominated, which is is absolutely crazy.
0: Yeah. And I, I don't think people want it to be. I definitely think, especially the nice, friendly, good people in that space want it to be for everyone. But the reality is people aren't willing to take a chance most of the time. I think Amber Vittoria is probably, she's a really good example of a woman who's really successful in the NFT space. And she is now getting to make the art that she wants to make, and I'm not exactly sure how she finagled it, like how she did it, but she was already very successful doing illustration. She had a clear illustration style that she'd already established, and she also works for brands that I think people look up to in a different way than they do from tech brands. So, like, She's worked with Coach and more fashion brands, and I think people see value in luxury brands in a different way than they do in tech brands. Because maybe like you want a pair of shoes with her drawing on it, it's not the same as like, well, I make icons for, say, Netflix. It's not as cool as making illustrations on like a Gucci handbag.
1: Oh, that's got me thinking in so many different directions now, <laughs> around that, around that space, and what is going to be possible, even as we keep on going with meta and the metaverse and, and even that that whole creation, that space that is there ways as we step into Web 3.0 that we can actually get that change where those spaces provide more opportunities for women and especially in environments like art that is very heavily male-dominated.
0: I was actually thinking about this last night because so I work at Meta, but I work specifically for reality labs. So I'm in the more Meta-y part of Meta. And I've been thinking a lot about this idea of what it's going to be like in the future when we have a metaverse. And I just keep thinking how are we going to have a metaverse if we can't handle online harassment? If people go on Twitter and they're being harassed for their race, for their gender, for whatever it might be, how is it going to be any different in the metaverse? And how are they going to protect people from trolls or, or just straight up like white supremacy and the patriarchy? And that's what I'm more concerned about because if you're not part of it, it's going to be very isolating, I think. And if it's not a comforting, safe space, then how can you really be a part of it?
1: So I think that's something that um, I want to say the powers that be really need to take into account because it's, it's growing and it's spreading and it's something that whether we like it or not, it's going to be part of the reality going forward. And it's how do you make sure that you definitely change the system that's currently broken and make it better, not take the system that's currently broken and move it to a completely different space.
0: Yes, exactly. Very well put. It.
1: So, But, fucks that geeking out on that.
0: It's like step back.
1: <laughs> I'm going to step back a bit and go back to when you were studying in, in the UK and you went from working on the shop floor at LUSH to lush art director, like I, I want to delve into that story because I was like, "Wow, that's, that's that's amazing."
0: Yeah, that's like literal Cinderella story. Like, <laughs> I was like, "Is a Hallmark movie?" Like this happening. <laughs> so I let's see. So I started at the Victoria Train Station Lush Shop. I was Christmas time because my parents are fairly middle class, so they didn't have quite enough money to do everything that I needed. So I was like, "Okay, I'm gonna get a job." That's the best thing I can do, get a job, even if I'm making like 80 pounds a day. And I'm going to use that to, to be able to, um, actually, if not a day, a week. It was 80 pounds <laughs> a week. I was working like 10 hours a week for eight pounds an hour. So I got a job being a Christmas temp. And after that finished, I was like, well, st- <laughs> still need money. So they transferred me to a store. It's so funny I can tell you these things because you know where these places are on bum Street. So New near- <laughs> in these states people don't know where these things are but yeah so Neuro Expert Circus so the shop in Bond Street I started working there I was also part-time probably 10-15 hours a week at most and then we had a Facebook group for Lush employees internally and somebody I think it was Shona so Shona McDonald was the name of the woman who hired me so Shona posted something along the lines of we're looking for a graphic designer to help us with a book," and. I was like, oh, what? They just, they can just say that. <laughs> what? So I basically just responded to her post and then I didn't hear anything back. And I was like, okay, well, they probably got hundreds or thousands of replies because it's the entire Lush, like every employee at Lush. It's a lot of people who work on the staff floor or on the shop floor. And then like a month or two later, one of my colleagues says, hey, like a month ago, somebody called for you like, what do you mean? Oh, someone from head office called like a month ago. Do you know anyone? It's like, oh my God. So it turns out they, they called my shop is what they did, but I wasn't there. So the person maybe said they were going to call me back or like, they never gave me the message. Yet. So I was like, oh my God, I lost it. it <laughs> they actually reached out and nobody told me. So I basically called them back or emailed them back and was like, yes, still very interested. So sorry. And so they looked at my portfolio, which was all On on my website. And I told them that I'm studying design and that that's what I want to do. I want to be a designer, but I really love Lush and I like working there. And so they essentially then had me do some, not like a design test, because they actually paid me, but they had me do some mock ups of what the book might look like based on some art direction that came from the person managing the project. And what they were doing at the time was redesigning the CEO slash founder's 1970s pamphlet on natural hair care. So he wrote this back in the seventies. They wanted to revamp it and turn it into like a coffee table book. Basically. I created a bunch of layouts and in InDesign. I sent them over. I told them, I don't think your art direction is really working, but here's what you asked for. And here's what I would do. And cause they wanted it to look kind of Victorian. Like they wanted like big scripty letters and stuff. And I was like, this is no, it's not working. So I sent them also what I would do and they really liked it. And so they hired me. So they basically took me off the shop floor and then I was, Working remote mostly, actually, because they are all based in Pool. And so I was working on designing that book, which meant going and art directing photo shoots and doing all the layout and topography and uh, basically everything. And then sometimes working out of the press office, helping with other things. So I was mostly working on that book part time. And then I designed like a map of all the perfume shops in London, some other stuff that's more like. Press related or like special events related, and so that basically they were paying me then I think forty pounds an hour instead of eight, wow. so much better. I felt like <laughs> a millionaire. Was just like <laughs> just <a little> bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. it's was like, oh my god! Like they asked me how much do you charge, and I was like, oh my god, oh no! So I just said, a dumper. I was like in my dreams forty pounds an hour, and they're like, yeah, it's fine, no big deal. But uh, so I started doing that, and that made me realize, oh, I could do like I wanted to be a designer. That's what I'm studying to do, but I didn't. I was like, oh shit, I could be a designer at the same time as I'm studying. So I started looking for opportunities that were more design opportunities instead of forcing retail. The
1: first time ever you had done something like that.
0: So when I graduated from high school, I worked for like three months for my friend's mom, helping her set up a YouTube channel and stuff for her small business. But this was an actual brand and it was like a big project where I got to, you know, I got to travel to go do these things and it felt very cool. The only other thing I think I'd really done Of note before that was, I watched an episode of, oh my God, what's the British equivalent of Shark Tank? Um, Dragon's Den. Dragon's Den. So I was a foundation student sitting in my little dorm room watching Dragon's Den. And there were a couple of women who went on with a fashion brand trying to sell it to the the, the folks. And they were like, we love your brand, but, you know, fashion, we can't do fashion because it's too tumultuous. There's no way we're going to invest in a fashion business, but we like it. And I saw what they were doing and I was like, I could draw that. There's like a lot of like cute animals on t shirts, and I was like, God damn it, I could totally do that. So I just emailed them out of the blue and said, Hey, can I draw stuff for you guys? I knew how much they were paying because they said it on the show, and I thought it was a lot of money. They're paying 25 pounds of drawing for like the stuff that's selling at ASOS, and uh, I thought I'm gonna make that 25 pounds off a drawing. <laughs> I got them, so I just emailed them out of the blue, and they were like, Sure, let's do it. So I did two or three. Shirts for them. I think they actually paid me 50 pounds each. I think I got 50 pounds each and a shirt, one of each of the shirts. And so they sold those at places like ASOS. And I don't think they're in business anymore, but it was like, I felt like a superhero that I could just email people that I thought were doing something cool and be part of it. it seemed it was just wild. So that was the only other thing before much, really. Oh,
1: no, well, there seems to be this, I'm going to call it this fearless spirit of. I see something and I want it. I'm just going to go for it. Even from moving from, from the and dropping out to coming here and applying to that, like you just described with the Dragon's Den example, or what you did with the law sh- directors, like, yeah, I see it, I'm going to go for it. Do you ever have any fears, or trepidations around what's stopping you? Or you just think like, oh, life's worth living. I'm just going to go for it.
0: I don't have a huge fear of failure or rejection. Because my thought process is usually, well, if they say no or they don't respond, that's kind of the worst thing that can happen. There's not really anything worse than that. And I'm sure also that I applied to lots of things that I got rejected from and I would like just don't even remember it because my brain has the amazing ability to just forget about all the things I applied to that nobody said yes to. And the other thing I have learned is that other people don't do that. Most people do not reach out. The other really good example that I'll give is, um, so which basically started my icon career, I guess is what it is now, was when I was working at OpenTable. I wasn't an icon designer at that point. I was just a brand designer and I, I just liked making icons. Designsystems.com launched and I was like, cool, checking that out. And they had a section of the website that said, iconography coming soon. And I was like, oh, they're working on that article. And so I reached out and emailed, I basically just emailed them and was like, can I help? I didn't think they were going to ask me to write the article. I just wanted to like give some hot tips <laughs> based on what I'd learned at square. And they were like, Oh yeah. Do you want to write the article? They didn't have anyone in mind. They just knew they were going to need it. And so I worked with them with the figma team to write that article. I never would have thought in a million years that that was going to like become an article. And then as it turns out, it is the, at least last time I checked in with them, which is a couple months ago, it's the most viewed article on the website wow. is the iconography article. They were very excited about that. Every, everyone was happy. I'm happy. They're happy. We're all happy. But again, that was like, out of the blue, cold email. And it just worked. And so I think you just have to do it. And if you don't hear back, you have to be able to just accept it and just move on.
1: What's the difference between illustration and design? Just curious.
0: That's a great question. I mean, I think illustration is always going to be tied more to storytelling and narrative and drawings. Like at a basic level, it's gonna be more drawings than it is. I think design is really there to solve problems. The design it can also be, I think, for beauty, but it design isn't as much about narrative. But I think illustration is really about narrative, uh, really about connecting on a very personal level with the person who's looking at it. And sometimes illustration is a tool, like icons are this really funny Venn diagram of illustration and design. And I think that's why there are not a lot of icon designers because most illustrators don't want to do technical product design. and Most product designers do not want to do illustration. And so there's that little slice in between that space. But um, see, I think narrative would probably be my answer.
1: Mm. It sounds like you, <laughs> which is not surprising actually. So you went for the, the difficult bit. <laughs> I'm going to combine both of them together and go for something that makes me unique. And that's kind of where you've, you've kind of found yourself.
0: Yeah. And, and it feels kind of at random, but I probably could have predicted it if I looked at my journey, like going from doing pixel art, which is a lot like icon design. I wanted to be a graphic designer, but I studied illustration because my logic was design's so easy. I don't need to study it. I'll just do it because I was already like working and stuff. So I was like, I don't need to do it. I'll study illustration because that shit is hard. And turns out, yes, it's really hard. And so, my, my mind, I was like, I'm going to build this secondary skill of being an illustrator and apply it to my design work. And that's kind of what I've done is actually combine those two things. Wow.
1: When you look at your, I guess looking at your your background and different organizations, great ones you worked with, your time at Square was an interesting one as well. When you're talking about moving, and you went for a job which you weren't the top candidate for what well, that desire that you've just mentioned around to learn, to improve, to get better, is kind of one of your inner inner core that helped you to get or secure that position, would you say?
0: Yeah. And I really, like, my dream was to be an art director at Square. That's what I really wanted. And when they told me, your portfolio isn't good enough to be a designer, but maybe you could do this, do production design, which turns out is way harder, I think. Again, And brand design is so hard and you need so much expertise and knowledge. I was like, well, if this is the stone I have to step on to get to where I want to be, then I'm going to do that and see how it goes. And in my experience, like at Lush, I could start one place and I can easily find a way to finagle myself into the place where I want to be. You just have to get in the door. Even if you're on the shop floor, it doesn't matter. You just need to be in the room or be next to the room, be in the house.
1: Being in the house has enabled you to get into a lot of those great spaces. But one thing you always talk about is the power of of relationships. Have you always been a, should I call it, a a connector with people, a great networker? Or is that a skill that you learn and you picked up over time?
0: I think it's probably something I've always done. I've always loved people. I love spending time with people. That's like the core of what I enjoy really is being around other people. I just can't help but thinking. So my mom found my uh, preschool report card few years back and in the preschool report card it had like I guess like a yearbook for it's like three-year-olds so it's like kind of goofy but apparently as we're looking through it there's two of the people in my preschool yearbook who wrote everyone had to write what their favorite thing to do at school was and two separate children wrote play with Bonnie Kate as their favorite thing to do (laughs) so I'm like yeah I guess that's probably been going for a while then (laughs) like hard to not think about that I've always loved people. And I also, I'm an actor, not serious. I don't do movies and stuff, but like I do a lot of improv and I like performing. And I think that's kind of similar because you're able to project whatever image you want and present yourself in a way that is easier for people to kind of process and take in and all the skills that I've learned in improv are really helpful skills I use when I'm running my business or working.
1: Does that also help you to, in a sense, not take life too seriously in when things happen to you. Because I know with, with improv, you're putting yourself out there like, <laughs> they, they ask you to do some crazy stuff sometimes. You're like, seriously? But you have to do it. And it, lets you, it helps you to get over yourself and just go and, and be with it. So has that helped you, generally speaking, then?
0: Yeah. One of the biggest skills in improv that you learn, and you'll learn it like in, if you do it in one class, you'll probably learn it in the first class. Uh, or at least you'll start to learn it. You won't be good at it. But that skill is... Learning to fail and fail really hard, embarrassingly in front of people, and they're laughing at you and they're laughing more with you, but it's a little bit at you, especially when you're just starting. And I found that skill really hard because I've always been drawn to things I'm good at. Like, I think a lot of people are. Like, I don't play sports because I'm bad at sports. I'm just not going to try because I'm really bad at it. But like, I've always done things that I naturally gravitate to that I'm naturally good at. And then When I had to learn how to fail things, makes it really hard because I wasn't used to that feeling. And then the more that I did that, and eventually you turn it into, you turn that failure with improv, you basically turn that into success by like you mess up and you goof in some way, and then the audience laughs, and then you just use that laughter to propel forward into some other thing. And I think that skill it's really helpful. Even if you're not actively thinking, Oh, well, I failed. Now I have to turn it into an opportunity. Like you just kind of more naturally do it. You just accept that it's happened and you keep going. And and I think that's why it's really important not to, there's a lot of points in people's lives where you have like a choice, right? Like I had to choose if I actually, when I took the square job, I had another offer and that offer was to be a senior brand designer at Sephora. And, but it was a contract. And so I was like, Ooh, it's going to pay probably more money. I'm going to be a brand designer, but it's at Sephora, not Square. And I think I want to stay in tech. And for years, I kept thinking, oh my God, should I have taken a Sephora job? Would I be further along in my career? Blah, 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 blah. And I've tried to stop doing that now because every decision you make, it just leads you forward and you can't go back and change it. You just have to let that shift happen. And the best thing I think you can do is look at the impact of your decisions and help you make future decisions rather than think, oh, well, what if I'd taken that other job? What if I did that? Because you can't, you can just use it to inform the present.
1: So how do you make decisions around your jobs? Because when you were at Open Table, you tired to leave. And some people think like, Open yeah. Table was a, was a great space. And you're just like, no, it's not right for me. I wanted to do something completely different. So how do you make decisions around things like moving on or stepping into something that's brand new for you?
0: For me, a lot of the time, it's a gut feeling. Okay. The, the biggest decisions I make with my gut, like moving to the UK, I was just like, this is the right choice. I just know it's the right choice. And if I overthink it, I'm going to ruin it. Kind of same with taking this contract that I'm now at with Reality Labs. I just kind of knew that I needed to. But when it's a harder decision and I don't know, like leaving OpenTable was actually a really difficult decision. I liked a lot of my teammates. And I had job security, didn't know we were about to enter a global pandemic, Um, didn't know, probably wouldn't have quit. It all worked out, but I probably wouldn't have if I'd known. For me there, I actually did try to make it work for a long time. And to be fully transparent, there were some, how do you describe it? Inter-team not doing so great situations. And I was talking to HR, um, and HR was trying to help me, and we could not come to a consensus about what needed to happen. The issue for me was that HR kept saying, and I've had this happen at other places I worked, well, what do you want the outcome to be? What do you want to happen? And I'm like, I don't know. I just want things to not be bad. I don't know what the, I don't know what the solution is. That's why I came to you to help me solve this uncomfortable situation. I just want things to be better, but they kind of want you to solve your own problem. And a lot of the time, it's stuff that's totally out of your control. So I worked with HR. I tried to make it work. And in the end, I was like, "The things are just not going to change here for me. They are not ready for me here. They don't have the right space for me. And so the job I was going to take at Thumbtack that was rescinded, that was actually the same level position and the salary was basically the same. But I just I couldn't get open table to work for me. And I had other offers so there was no reason to stay somewhere where they didn't value what i was trying to bring
1: it was that whole the times when people tried to fit into spaces that not necessarily belong into and it might work for a little while but you know in your heart whether this is the right space for you sound like you you made that decision and you kind of moved on to you were going to move on to Thumbstack at that point in time and obviously covid happened that offer got rescinded What were the thoughts going through your mind when that happened?
0: How dare you? (laughs) What's the first one? I was like, I'd quit my job. And the VP of design knew I'd quit my job. And I was, I just panicked. I'd been out of work for a week. Like I I was in between jobs since I had, I hadn't been working for a week. and It was glorious. And I was just sewing. It was lovely. I was having such a great time. And then he called me and I was like, this is bad. Like we've just entered lockdown and he called me and I kind of knew what was coming. The thing I found actually more frustrating was that, so the VP of design at Thumbtack. So when he called to tell me they'd rescinded my offer along with everyone else's, he said he was leaving the company and he was going to Instacart to be VP of design there or something like that, something similar. And so he said, well, like silver lining I love, you know, I, I would love for you to work for me. I can get you the final interview at Instacart because you've already gone through the process at Thumbtack. Like I know your work. I'll just bring you on at Instacart. And I was like, Oh my God, pandemic. Okay. I sure. Yeah. Let's set the interview. And so a few days or, or, or a week or so went by and eventually they did reach back out and they said, Oh, well, but you actually have to go through all the interview stages. I was like, okay, fine. That's not what your VP of design you just hired told me on the phone. A week ago, but okay. And so I, I did the phone interview. I think I passed that. And then I did what would have been, I guess, the on-site, but it was virtual. And it's was like head of design and the designer. And I didn't get great vibes from them, but I was like, I'm desperate to have a job because, oh my God, like pandemic. And so I interviewed, I was like, I think it went fine. Like the VP of design wants to hire me. So like how bad could this go? And they ghosted me. They never responded after I did, I don't know if it was the final interview or penultimate interview, but like they never got back to me. And I was way more upset at that than I was about them rescinding my offer from Thumbtack because I understood why they did that. They had to for their business and it was better than firing people who worked there, which they did have to do as well in the end. But I was livid because... I didn't even really want to work there, but I was like, but you're gonna ghost me. It's like kind of worse, like when someone you don't like breaks up with you. You're like, I just afraid to break up first. How dare you break up with me? Like, you're gonna ghost me after all that stuff, guys. Come on now. So I was actually more upset about that than bomb um, than having the offer rescinded because I just thought it was so tacky.
1: So that frustration and anger drive what you did next when you put out that tweet.
0: I mean, it definitely helped. It motivated me to just start looking for freelance work and I don't get angry very often. That's not an emotion that I feel very much. I'm more in the like sadness and stress and happiness range than the, than the anger. But in that case, i used it as motivation because I kind of wanted to prove them wrong for turning me down in the like crappiest way.
1: I think for those who don't, obviously never was going to know what the tweet was. You mind just sharing what tweet you put out and what happened when you, when you did that.
0: I'm pretty sure I did this right after they rescinded my offer. Probably within like an hour or two. I just told my boyfriend. I like walked into his room and was like, my offer got rescinded. I went on Twitter. (laughs) And so what I posted was something along the lines of, I just lost my job and I need help finding work. I lost my job because of the pandemic. And then that tweet went, for me, it felt very viral. It got like a thousand likes, which for me, because I only had, I guess, maybe a thousand followers at that point. And I had people reaching out who had seen me at a conference who maybe spoke to me for five minutes and I was very overwhelmed at config. So I could not remember anybody. <laughs> but yeah, sh- there were people sending me emails being like, Hey, I know someone who's hiring this thing and they w- could work with you. And so you could apply to this. I had people just straight up emailing me with potential work. I, I had people saying, Oh, well we're hiring. Here's a job offer, or here's a, um, a job rec. If you want to apply and just people really came out for it and i think part of it was the timing it was march 2020 it was on everyone's mind and the big layoffs hadn't happened airbnb hadn't laid off anyone yet. uber hadn't laid off anyone yet when it got really hard was like summer of 2020 because that's when all these big companies started doing layoffs and they were providing resources to people so like airbnb i think they laid people off in may they were using their recruiting staff because they weren't recruiting, but they were using their recruiting staff to help people find job offers who they'd laid off. And I was like, how am I going to compete with these people? Like March, I was like, oh my God, everyone in the internet loves me. This is amazing. I'm getting work. And then summer, I was like, okay, nope, I'm not an Airbnb level designer, but like a private recruiting team. And that became way more stressful because all of a sudden, everyone lost their job and I was competing with everybody.
1: Because I was very curious around Got the freelance gig going well. Obviously, that happens in summer. But then you stepped into another full-time role after that. But before, was that with them? or oh, Actually, you had another offer, which was with Aura, wasn't it? Which also got rescinded.
0: Yeah, so I had an offer from Cloudflare to do full-time illustration. But my concern was I didn't love the illustration style they were proposing. It didn't feel exciting enough for me to do full-time. and. I was concerned I would get bored, which happens to me a lot in jobs. And I was worried there was going to be a ceiling because my manager, the person who would have been my manager, was a brand new manager. And so what I really wanted was her job. And I was like, I shouldn't take a job where I immediately want to be put into my manager's role when she's just got it. That's not a good situation. And then Aura offered me a full-time contract, like contract to hire. And I was very excited about my manager, Aura, Abdul he'd worked with amazing brands and when i spoke to him i just got really good vibes and i just felt like there was a lot to learn from him i was also going to be their first hire as a brand their first brand designer hire and the product seemed really cool and innovative and so i was like okay that seems like cooler and riskier and i have this freelance stuff happening and my boyfriend works at cloudflare he did, he actually he would he referred me to cloudflare he didn't work in design but he uh he had just gotten his Cloudflare job. So I was like, okay, he's got stability. So something really terrible happens. I guess I can lean on him if I have to. So, okay, I'm going to do the risky thing. And so that's what I ended up doing.
1: <laughs> I think it's a bit crazy that in the middle of a pandemic, you're like, yeah, I'm still going to go for risk rather than yeah. I'm going to go for stability. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and even now, so I'm trying to figure out what next year is going to look like and- so I'm I'm at Meta through April, essentially. That's when my contract is through. And I've started talking to some of them about, like, full-time. Like, like, they're. I can feel them trying to feel it out. Like, do they want to hire me? Maybe not reality lots. maybe somebody else. I can feel them, like, feeling me out being like, mm, is she worth hiring full-time? Like, would you have enough work for her? And then I have a couple of other places that are like, you know, have you ever considered full-time? And I'm like, hmm, Interesting. So there's some kind of interesting more art direction roles that people are starting to reach out to me about. And so now I'm like, hmm, is that something I want to do maybe for 2022, 2023, maybe for a few years? Because it's a new skill that I haven't really, or at least I haven't gotten to do it in a long time. And I'll learn a lot. And that's now I think the trick is like you can make a ton of money freelancing, but you don't learn as much about the inner workings of companies. You don't have as much impact. and growth is so much harder you learn a lot about like running a business and networking and lots of other skills but in-house it's easier to grow into other roles i think so now i'm trying to figure out well if i want to become like like a full-fledged art director creative director if i wanted to like create my own studio one day this would be the way to learn all those skills to do that so i'm trying to figure that out now (laughs)
1: If you were to step into a full-time role, would that mean for you no longer freelancing? Or do you always need that? I would still freelance.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely would still freelance. I think I'm just... One One of my professors in college, who was lovely, and she definitely meant this in a nice way, she said, you're very entrepreneurial. And what she was kind of trying to say was like, You're like pretty good at art, but like you're really good at business because I got a C like my overall grade at the end of my bachelor's was a C plus or it was like a, what's not a merit, but one below a merit. I was furious. I was so mad. I was so angry because I had to skip class to work and I had to like be doing schoolwork while working and it was like, just felt so, I felt like it was such an unfair playing field because the only people who got distinctions are A's. Or the people who didn't work. Anyone who worked at all, no one got an A. And there were people who were super, super talented, and they're getting B pluses because they're also working. Some of them in industry, some of them in retail, or some other sort of job. But yeah, my professor made it very clear that I was better at business than I was at art, and that made me angry. But I also kind of understood. Was like, okay, well, if I can do that really well, then I should leverage that. And I didn't realize at the time that's actually a more valuable skill. Because I can go in and out of art, but I can run a business doing literally anything. I could just, I just need to pick a thing and create a business around it. So I don't think I'm going to ever be able to get rid of that like entrepreneurial spirit because it's just deeply ingrained into me. And like my grandparents were basically all around their own businesses and my mom runs her own business. And like actually, my dad also runs a business now. Like we just like, it's like in my blood. So I'm pretty sure I can't get rid of it, but. It would be less. I would probably do it more like on weekends and pick very select clients.
1: Do you have a dream client that you would love to work
0: with? I have a dream client list. <laughs> I don't know where my <laughs> list is, but it's actually, I know where it is. It's at home at my home, somewhere in my home. Yeah. My dream client list includes Pixar. I don't know what I would do for them, but just, I love them. So Pixar is on the list. Nike is on the list. And I've got a friend who works there, so I'm like, maybe it's time to like start f- like kindling that relationship. But I also don't want to be like a lychee bag. So I'm like trying to not kind to of like cool. But I guess so Nike's on the list. For a while, I really wanted to work for Wired. And then what I realized is I have to dream bigger and the goal should not be work for Wired. The goal should be in Wired. Like they should write about me. And that's a much better goal and that's like maybe a 10 years in the future goal, but that's what I'm starting to set now. Um, and then the the other dream clients for me are more like fashion brands because I love textiles and fabric and um, actually working with one of the really big ones right now. I'm not allowed to talk about it, but I did get one of my dream clients and it's a very, very big fashion house. And so I'm super excited about it.
1: Could you also talk about fashion, slight detour, but you're into like knitting and quilts. Ooh. I saw that there's a massive quilt you made. I was like, "That's huge!" Yeah. Like, is that <laughs> that whole like there's a there's this design element inside of you that seems to come out in completely different ways. Even looking at from arts director into iconography to illustration to quilts, there's something around creating and bringing something to life that you seem to be be burning inside of you that you love doing.
0: Yeah, I think. If I'm not creating things, I don't really feel alive. Like that's where I feel truly myself is when I'm making things. And it it matters the format, but at the same time, it doesn't matter. Like I love because I love knitting as much as I love making icons. Something interesting so when I was at Square, the creative director at the time said when he's hiring, he only hires creatives. So like designers right who also have a creative outlet and that could be ceramics or cooking or any you know knitting or drawing or whatever other thing it is but his instinct was if you are not wanting to make things all the time or do you really want to do that for your job because i do think design is a pretty i don't think people become designers On a whim, like I think, because it's pretty hard to become successful in the space. So I I always thought on that kind of interesting that like that was one of his criteria for hiring. And a lot of the really great creatives I know can't help themselves but do other work. They have to either they're running their own business and maybe they're making like T-shirts and apparel, or they're like me, they're freelancing and doing a full time contract and or knitting or whatever creative thing it is. But I think most creatives. Really, people who really love design, who love creating, also need to create outside of their day job and do more creating elsewhere.
1: I can see that. It's interesting just thinking about creatives. One thing I think actually sets you apart is what you said earlier on. A lot of creatives are good at creating, but they're not good at business. You have both, which is really, really good quality. And obviously, the way that you've been able to deal with the different rejections have happened. Earn six hundred k during the pandemic. It's it's absolutely amazing. Obviously, now you're thinking about the future, and I was just like interested. Even in your in your icon creation, one of the just say complaints that tends to happen a lot of times with with companies and icons is they take such a long time to have diverse icons. So whether it's around I don't know religion, body type, race, age, whatever it is, you seem like you get the standard ones out for yes and then all of a sudden other ones take so long why is that
0: i think it's just not a priority for the people with the money i don't think anyone has it on their like okrs right diversity is usually tucked on at the end or it's reactionary like oops we did a bad thing better go make it diverse to solve the problem and also people are willing to only do the bare minimum is what i've noticed so i think this happens more with illustration than iconography but what i've noticed is so, I was doing some illustration at Open Table. I was doing a lot at Square. And at Square, they kind of just let me do whatever I wanted. Like, I was just off doing my thing. So, I was learning a lot about how to create diverse illustrations that reflected a lot of people. And I was like having a great time. I was talking to a lot of humans and making a lot of mistakes. And they were really nice and they were okay with that. And when I went to Open Table and I started illustrating a little bit for them, they didn't seem to care about diversity beyond race and gender. And with gender, it was literally just are there men and women? Like, not a gender spectrum, just women looking people and men looking people and men race. And I was like, that's not really, I saw really diversity though, because that's just taking the same illustration of a person and just changing the skin tone. But for the like marketing stakeholder or whoever it was, or even for like my manager, it was enough. Like, they thought that that's fine because, oh, well, we're showing a person whose skin is darker than this other person and that looks like a woman and that looks like a man. So it's fine. And so when I'd be like, Oh, well we need people who look older or we need people who are more full figured or what if we had them wearing like a hijab or something? So I was like, Oh, like that's a bit much. Like that's pretty diverse diversity. Like well, not, we don't need to quite go that far. And it's like, "No, oh, but then that's not really we rep- we're not really representing people. And so I think people are, a lot of viewers are not ready to really show the full human experience and it's not a priority and it's hard. Like it's harder to draw people who don't look like you uh, than it is to draw people who do look like you. And so they just, they don't prioritize it. And unless they get in trouble and most people just don't get called out on it. The best illustration system, I think, in terms of diversity is the system that Jennifer Holm designed for Airbnb and it's very bespoke. Every illustration is unique, drawn by a human being and they're looking at actual human faces and they've got a huge range of the human experience and that was the system was what the system was built around. But it requires a lot of money because you have to pay individual illustrators to do that and research and people don't want to spend money on representation.
1: There's a world that we see that we get used to very, very easily, but we don't think about what goes on behind the scenes. We just, for example, whether it's illustrations or icons or things that we're using on our phones on a day to day. And it's like, what's going on behind the scenes for these organizations that are bringing all these products out? And why is it there's a lack of, there's a lack of diversity in those spaces. And, think the way you just kind of just brought that to life really got me thinking, I was like, okay, that's interesting. So it comes down to essentially one person thinking about it but two around the time effort and the money and that it actually takes to to do something that is not generic and requires that thought rather than afterthought and that's where there's a, there's a missing gap uh, with these organizations
0: and you also have to educate illustrators that's another thing is like you have to teach people i think how to be inclusive how to think beyond themselves and I do think like Gen Z, like the kids these days, those young men, ins- they're doing a much better job than anyone else. I think there's much more representation in art being made by young people, but they also are not the ones who are, you know, they don't have the jobs yet. So maybe there won't be as much education needed in the future. But like when I started working at Square, I built a little system of little faces and had hairstyles and stuff. And, and I was like, okay, I should probably make it so we have hairstyles that represent a variety of people. And then I was like, oh shit, I don't know how to draw black hair. (laughs) Like I'd worked, because when I was at Lush, I worked on a black hair care project. So when I was working there, that was when they launched their black hair care line, essentially. It wasn't technically, it wasn't like called out as being black hair care, but that's everyone we were testing it with. That's who we were talking to because we were trying to create products that would work for black hair. And so I was speaking to a lot of mostly black women about their hair and that and I mean, we was doing it to make products. And so when I went to Square, I was like, oh shit, I should probably draw some hair. And I knew, I was like, well, black hair care is super duper a thing. And also, I don't really know that much about it. And so I had to go out of my way to go find somebody that I could talk to about it, who I didn't feel like I was like stealing her time or wasting her time, um, or just like trying to only be her friend because I needed help with this project. But she was super nice. She's an engineer that I worked with a lot. So I, I knew her pretty well. And so she and I talked a lot about black hairstyles and how we could create them and put them into the system and, like, what was working, what wasn't working, and, like, what were some of the phrases to Google. Because part of it was, like, I just didn't know what to search. I didn't know how to get the right words to find what I was looking for. And so she helped a lot. And then we brought in um, a man to help me look at some of the male hairstyles and figure out, like, what's just a Google search, image search, and, like, what's actually in the culture and not just a Google image search. And so that required, like, time, which is money. And also her donating some of her time to me to help me to build this system so that I wasn't just doing what I thought was good because that's not really enough usually. Like what you think is gonna work is if it's not your culture, you're probably not gonna be enough. You probably need to talk to people.
1: Love that approach. Takes time, takes money, takes effort, but you get to create something that represents, truly represents who you're targeting and who you're creating for. And I really love that. How do you define leadership? Mm.
0: I think for me, the best leaders are people who act like umbrellas, they are really, really good at protecting everybody who is below them from every sort of chaos that's around them and just let them get through and do what they need to do. Because for the most part, like if I'm talking about senior, most senior people, we're good at our jobs. You brought me on because I'm good at my job. You don't need to really manage me or most of the time you don't have tell me what to do. You just need to let me do what I do really well and stop me from being hounded by the elements. So I think being an umbrella really, really helpful. It's also a great trait for folks who work in ops. So anyone doing design ops, being able to shield me from the things that I don't need to see, or that would stress me out, or that are going to make the work not as good, or are going to take up my time. And like, and more importantly, like my energy, like I don't want to have to talk to stakeholders if I don't have to. And if you can help me by doing that, amazing. So I think that's one thing. Another I like metaphors for this. I find it easier to explain the metaphor. The other word I am use is ladder. So somebody who's a leader is going to help other people climb because we don't know where everyone's going, but you want everyone to succeed. You want everybody to rise up who's in your organization. And so if you're really a great leader, you will help them keep rising and you'll help them even surpass you. And so I think those are probably the two things that I look for in a leader, if that's some like someone I want to work for.
1: Powerful. I love that. I just want to say thank you. This conversation has gone into so many directions, <laughs> which has been absolutely like amazing. Actually, I- I've loved it. We're going from talking about the metaverse to race to skin color to lush to just being you. And I think it's that freedom and that freeness that you have, and obviously you've showcased in the work and the way that you're approaching things. And the way your career trajectory has actually gone is something that I actually find really, really inspiring. Just be like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? If I see something, I want to go for it. I'm going to try it out. If I feel like I'm in the right space, I don't belong. I'm going to go and do something completely different. But I'm constantly looking to reinvent myself and to keep on growing, whatever that may bring or, or take. And really, really, as we head into, especially into 2022, I think that's a inspiring message for people just to to take and learn from. So. Appreciate your time today.
0: Oh, it was lovely. I can tell you the one piece of advice that I've received in the last year that I thought was the most helpful, which is Meg Lewis, who is a designer, illustrator, performer, all around amazing woman. She told me when I was in the middle of pandemic, trying to figure out, should I be an icon designer? Can I do that? Should I be a brand What should I call myself? Who am I? She was like, just say whatever you want. And if you don't like it, you can change back. It's like, oh, I can do that. Like, I'd never considered that you can absolutely re like, not even reinvent, but like, you can just relabel yourself if you want and change your portfolio or change your Twitter or whatever you change and try it. And if you don't like it, if it doesn't work in any other thing, you can just change it back and it's totally fine. And that for me, like, that again, it's like permission to fail. That improv idea was. I, I just thought I have to succeed at whatever it is I say I'm gonna do, otherwise I'm a failure, or otherwise I've wasted my time or something like that. But it's like, ah, oh, cool. Okay, well I'm an icon designer now, and well, I guess we'll see how long it lasts. And that was so helpful to realize that I had the freedom to change and to change back if I wanted. It's
1: powerful, actually, because it's you're not stuck, and you can keep on, like I say, keep on reinventing yourself. And once you have that permission to fail. So okay, what's stopping me now? Let me just go through it and see and see what's the worst that can happen. So really, really wise words. Wise wise woman.
0: I like that. She's very wise. I love her.
1: This is Everyday Leadership. I'll see you next week.